welcome to another episode of Tales from the Trenches. So today we have uh, Kudus Pushafi, and I hope I pronounced your name correctly, Kudus. Perfect. From Future Lab Legal uh, to talk about, yeah, from a strategic viewpoint, how can small and medium firms compete with larger firms, uh, especially in the middle of the COVID-19 lockdown that's happening at the moment in impacting firms. So, Kudus, if you can start by telling us a bit about yourself and what uh, you do with uh, Future Lab Legal. Sure. So, as you correctly pronounced, my name is Kudus Prashafi. I'm an admitted lawyer, but I don't practice. And um, I've advised and supported various businesses in a commercial capacity, not always related to legal, but usually around strategy and sense making. I always feel very privileged to be able to pursue something that I'm very passionate about and and that leads me into what Future Lab Legal is as a business. Essentially, we work alongside other organizations in the industry uh, with a clear focus on the future of law and how we can build or pivot towards that reality. So, you know, first a vision of what that might look like and then working backwards to see how each potential client can get to the point that they would like that coalesces with a, with a broader vision. The uniqueness of the organization itself is centered around the fact that we cast a holistic view on the industry. So I've separated it into four stakeholders, key stakeholders mm. in the industry at large. We have the legal service providers, which includes alternative. I don't believe that they are alternative, but for the sake of helping people understand. So the market, which is the legal service providers, the institutions, which are the educators, the regulators, which you know regulate how yeah. we are able to practice the law and deliver the deliver services and also how we prepare for it. So it also informs how people are educated. And then legal tech, which is a sort of an emergent sub-niche, but it has its own characteristics. It's nuanced enough for it to be some, uh, a focal point. And it is a key driver too, I believe. So yeah. with that holistic view as a basis, we're essentially able to generate uh, bespoke solutions with each client because we can work with any side and are mm-hmm. across trying to understand and continually pursuing the advancements across four verticals, if that makes sense. We work with firms, we work with legal tech companies, eventually want to work with educational institutions and have started contributing to projects that touch on the regulatory space or that have implications in regulations. Um, Not necessarily in Australia, but uh, more globally. That's fantastic. That sounds uh, like a very diverse area of strategic topics, kudus, obviously, and uh, and all of it is very relevant in the context of what firms are dealing with currently around how they evolve and what evolution looks like. So mm-hmm. with uh, COVID-19 and the impact it has had on small and medium firms, how do you see the strategy for small and medium firms evolving, kudus, to compete with large national firms, for example? That's a good question. Probably the first thing that's worth covering in that sense is that digital is a more even playing field, essentially. Mm-hmm. So that's just as a, as a statement in and of itself. It does several things. One is that um, the brick and mortar is no longer the, the attraction. So, so whatever experience you've set up perhaps physically is now everyone has access to that the digital capacity the market size changes. So again, you know, if you were looking at, you know, the immediate businesses around your physical building, now it's all of Australia, uh, Hmm. other markets, all over the world, depending on how you approach your work. And your ability to brand then becomes a lot more flexible. You have a lot more tools at your disposal to customize your experience and 
there's a uniqueness and then so it's permission for diversity in a sense right so that's probably the biggest biggest i think the biggest pull there digital is evening out the playing field and there are some elements there that i've sort of mentioned that are an indicator of that that's very true and and sort of that gives small and medium firms a lot more options in terms of what the evolution to compete looks like so I mean, a key questions for these firms is also, do they become a larger firm to compete? Obviously, what you are saying, Kudus, is that digital being the level playing field. What does growth look like in terms of if you're yeah. trying to compete effectively and trying to show to your clients that, that you don't need to go to a larger firm? We can deal with your issues and, and, and provide resolutions. Yes. Um I don't believe so. I don't believe growth is related to size necessarily. So mm-hmm. it's not that we need it in order to compete. And one way to look at it might be to break down why people go to the big players in the first place. I would say it's across two main key points. One is size, which is representative of capacity in terms of being able to manage large portions of work. The second is brand. So, you know, what is the what is the image, what is the reputation of the industry of the particular firm in question more than anything it's a safe bet Mm. um you know capacity and size plus reputation they've done it before so with the evening of the playing field yeah in digital the immediate question becomes what can be emulated through technology Mm. which will automatically scale that size that already exists by person to person and this is not a replacement of talent so there is always there was always a human element to it and an ability but more so than anything it's about how people organize more efficiently right and technology can serve to organize more efficiently we are now stepping into affordable legal analysis through artificial intelligence and machine learning that has become quite affordable in relation to expenditure on brick and mortar situations yeah. so there's that there's cost clarity that's related to technology as well. So we are getting to a point where there's a lot more cost clarity in terms of the tools that we can pay a monthly subscription for in order to carry out the work that we would like to do. And there is outperformance potentially. And that's where the, the, the new part's coming. That's the, sort of the challenge that I'm putting out there is that we can outperform larger firms in what, by way of client journey so how their journey what their experience is what value we can actually provide so in a competing you know ever tightening market where there's more competition of course uh, a lower price point might be a um might be a hook but often like i said they're, they're looking for size um for safety so so it might be not actually necessarily that you're, there's a lower price point. It might be a, the same or comparable price point, but the experience is there's more oversight. So the security, sense of safety and numbers could be safety and clarity and oversight of what's happening. Safety yeah. in knowing that they have a really well-oiled machine. Safety in knowing that you know the work is now being triple-checked by technology and, and enhanced and augmented. You know Their work is being augmented by technology, um, which the companies that are buying themselves are also invested in this same process for their own clients. Yeah. So we see eye to eye in that sense. So, so from that, they don't need size because technology will essentially allow for scalability, but it needs to be well organized, if that makes sense. That, that makes a tremendous amount of sense. And this uh, next question, you, you mentioned so much about that sense of safety that the bigger players project and legal tech, obviously, then being a key part of small and medium firms to project that same level of call it safety, call it 
the comfort that clients get from coming to them. And value. And and value. And so if if a lot of these firms are looking at legal tech gurus, how do they start the journey? I mean, you are obviously with Future Lab Legal extensively sort of touch, have several touch points around what we are discussing around this. But what does this look like? Is it bespoke? Is it like, what would you recommend to firms if they were looking at this? Yeah, there are different ways that firms have approached it, some out of necessity, some uh, some out of lack of lack of alternatives, some out of necessity, some out of inspiration. So there has been a lot of experimenting, a lot of in-house development, a lot of let's take this core software and patch it the way we'd like to, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. My viewpoint, and um, as is reflected in, in, a, in uh, a framework that I published last year, mm-hmm. is that we don't necessarily need to invest typically how we have in the past with, with, uh, with technology uh, in the sense that it's not a big capital expenditure to buy one piece of software that doesn't quite do everything and then mm-hmm. go through the rigmarole of bringing in developers or asking IT with further modifications <laughs> so yeah. it's customizable. We are entering in a, an era where we have the SaaS model yeah. and yeah. Um, many people, many lawyers, many developers are starting to, um, you know, starting to play in the legal tech space. So productivity tools for lawyers, um, any sort of tools around the the law firm and the law, the delivery of legal services. Some of these tools are better executed outside of our industry. So communications, Mm -hmm. for instance, we have many tools that are very effective Mm -hmm. in some form. So this SaaS model, step one is people build software so digitizing something that was perhaps manual before making it more efficient the SaaS model also is a volume-based model so it's always targeted at being more affordable too right so we have that now it's getting to a phase where people recognize the SaaS model is also about interoperability it's about an ecosystem it's about being able to have an api and hook one thing to the next thing so with that in mind last year i published a framework called the future framework for legal practice which essentially just leverages that reality that's emergent and says we can actually build our core functions by stacking different technologies together in a workflow you know as as long as we understand what that workflow is so yeah so that's a that's a large part of it but um in terms of that being the approach yes. it'll fundamentally change your ability to compete it'll fundamentally change your cost and the way that you would uh for spend money, but also how much of it is locked up in expenditures, you know, cash flow. So moving away from capital expenditure, it's a big project, this, this, and that, and looking at change as an iterative process, but then the agility of being able to switch a SaaS product on and switch it off if you don't need it or swap it from one thing to the next thing, you know, these things are starting to become more of a reality for us. And in fact, it's very possible at the moment. It'll become just easier as we go. And do you think that firms should... uh try to pursue this sort of model kudus at this stage externally by bringing in external experts or because obviously you know that a big challenge for a lot of smaller firms is having the knowledge to create a framework for development and delivery of this type of model that the appetite might be there but knowledge is often the barrier to having yes. this to explore this now there's different ways the industry has approached this. You know, we have heads of innovation, we have vendors trying to sell a very, a very yeah. specific product or, or a small pool of products they're affiliated with. 
my viewpoint has always been to be platform agnostic. And uh, I wrote about this maybe about a year ago, if not longer, that I, I believe that it's an educative process at arm's length. Change, there should be from outside. It's, it's very, I've spoken to a few heads of innovation internationally that feel they're very much stuck in limbo. Mm-hmm. They're being paid to look at change, but they're being paid to convince the people that are paying them that what they're doing could be better yeah. or different. Yeah. And, you know, oftentimes it's filling a position, but there's no real buy-in from the decision makers. So having someone come from outside, at least even at a first step to give a different perspective and just open the forum. And then perhaps when they feel comfortable or when they're ready to make those commitments to facilitate. Yep. further conversations yep. and press a bit more and find out where, what direction do we want to take strategically? What's our vision? And then being able to then distill that into, well, how is that possible? Well, yes, it's possible. I think a lot of that, yes, does have to happen from outside, yep. but I also believe, and this is the commitment I think of Future Lab Legal, that it, it is at arm's length, it's accompanying, it's accompaniment. You work yep. alongside the yep. organization over a longer period of time. And um, there are implications for what does that look like in terms of a business model or what does it look like in terms of cost and in terms of how I run my business so that it is feasible in executing change as an iterative process rather than a product. I think that's one of the issues as well. I think, um, like you mentioned, getting outside expert help, if it's productized, if it feels like it's, oh, it's just one conversation or one this and that, it's great. It's a door opener, but it's not necessarily going to until we don't understand change is iterative and it is a process, not a product, then it'll be quite stagnant. And, and you did mention, should we be doing this now? I, you know, my, my viewpoint from where I stand is we should have been doing this for a long yes. time. And yeah. I remember watching one of your earlier episodes and saying, what a great example of, of uh, I forget the firm's name, but what a great example that they, had, yeah, that they had thought about this at the time of this, said 2006, 2008, something very early on, but yeah. it might have been 2010. Uh, 10, 12, time. around that time. 10, 12, there you go. Sorry, I'm, I'm overshooting there. I lose track of time myself. <laughs> but um, that really caught my eye. I said, that's, that's the type of leadership that recognizes that we start then, it was hard, but we started, and then we realized it never ends, and you keep going, and it keeps getting better, and that's yeah. why they can reap the rewards now of being relevant or having pivoted to something productive or continue to generate value for their clients or continue to operate as a profitable business. I didn't believe there was any, you know, argument against it before. And I, and I had people arguing against it. And I think even now, I think it'd be more foolish to argue against the need to change the need for adaptability. Absolutely. It was absolutely a fascinating discussion. Obviously there's lots to unpack in what we have discussed today. We would love to invite you back to unpack some of the core topics within what we have discussed today around various aspects of what strategy, legal tech, implementation, orientation, knowledge, all looks like. I think it's such a vast topic that covering in one podcast is not doing it justice, but I think this is very insightful for a lot of SBA clients. We deal with a lot of small and medium firms or home Knowing the high-level framework as a starting point is the start of the journey. So thank you for your insights today, Kudus. To conclude, uh, is there something that you can share with us that your colleagues at Future Lab Legal would not be aware of? Uh, it's not a strategy question, just something. No, that's, that's fine. Colleagues or people that I work with alongside yeah. through, through Future Lab Legal, 
I guess not everyone's aware, not everyone's had a chance to be aware that the law and the future of law for me is a relatively new found passion. I was first a musician. So I wow. studied violin since, since I was four and uh, I pursued it all the way to the conservatorium. I was a concert violinist. I played in orchestras and, and led orchestras in my state in South Australia through that journey. Um, Fascinating. That whole experience of, you know, over 10,000 hours of that instrument and, and over 20 years of pursuing that art and mastering it was very useful to me moving forward in terms of creativity and how I'm, how I'm wired to think. It's very lateral. So it's, I, I've, I've sort of now found a passion in, in high-impact work that serves mankind better because as we can deliver services better, we deliver justice better for everyone. So, so it's just this idea of how do we then deal with the difficult elements of our industry as it tries to change. So, but, yeah, people, most people don't know. Most people don't know that I, I was a musician first for a very, very long time. <laughs> Thanks for sharing that. Well, that's absolutely fascinating. And, and that is, uh, I think, very much evident, as you said, in your thought process and your thinking, which is pretty unique uh, in terms of very different from the traditional um, law firm process thinking. And uh, being a creative person and being in music, I think you bring that to the table and that's as important. I think a lot of the time, technology can be very dry and technology yes. can be very sort of process focused. So it's very important that the richness of the experience is there for practices yeah. looking at this and having, uh, I think your background provides that richness of experience in many yeah. ways. In well, the discussion. Technology is the means, right? So yeah. it's, it's not going to be fun if the vision isn't clear, people don't understand what they're building. You can't say the legal tech itself is the exciting part. <laughs> you know, it's what you build with it. So, yeah, yeah no, I agree with you completely. Um, that's in, I've never thought of it that way, but that, that makes a lot of sense too, that, that I think perhaps the, why I'm excited about it is not because of the technology per se, but the opportunity the technology provides. And that's yeah. the space that I play in and, and, and enjoy to think about and deliver on and execute on. So, Yeah. Thank you, Kudus. Thanks for the session today. And uh, yeah, we look forward to welcoming you back to another episode of Tales from the Trenches. 